Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. Welcome to the month of July. You've already been in July if you were at church on Sunday. I was privileged to be in France during that time, and uh, it is great to be back home. So it is my privilege to say welcome to the month of July because I haven't had that opportunity to this point. I do want to thank all of you from the Father's Church in Dallas and from our Saints Network for praying for the gathering in, in uh, Sophia Antipolis, which is kind of like a suburb of Nice. Um, Monica Terrell and I had the privilege of working with a great group of seasoned leaders from France, Belgium, from Switzerland, from Luxembourg, and um, we had other nations that were represented there, but God is truly positioning our saints, our, our family of saints in, um, in Western Europe for a great work. We've been delighted to be partnering with these precious folks for many, many years, and it's just was wonderful to be able to go in and to share the meat of the word with these folks and to uh, ask them to participate in a number of biblically oriented prayer endeavors and for them to immediately do it, um, knowledgeably do it. it. It just really makes such a big difference. Not to say that we don't cherish the new doors that God opens and the young ones that uh, we have to train and lead along, but uh, it, it just truly is a tremendous thing to be able to join together with folks that many of whom we haven't seen in person for several years because of the COVID shutdown. And so thank you for your prayers. We had safe travels um, everybody was well and uh, we're positioned now to see what God wants to do next I, I do want to particularly thank those who were interceding um, all through the gathering had several of our folks here in the states we did not ask for this so don't think oh they didn't ask me we didn't ask for this but we chose to zoom these meetings so that people in western europe who were not able to be at the gathering could watch real time but primarily we we zoomed because it's a, a really good means of recording uh, it's like a one-stop shop of being able to record and preserve teachings in video and in audio. But some folks from here in the States were staying up through the night watching and praying. And uh, I want to thank them and all of you who were praying. It, it makes a great, great difference. And uh, I want to thank Monica for all the hard work she invested in the way God used her. Um, we're, we're very blessed to be able to come back and report. God is 
has really been doing a work over these past years where travel has been inhibited and um, we have we have good reports uh, concerning what God is doing in these countries we were able to have an election there this is just an FYI you know, we have an association they call it an association it's like a governmentally approved designation for the Saints Network in uh, in France and this helps those folks to um, be able to give tithe or offerings and gain credit um, it's not an oppressive thing it's just kind of like what we have with a 501c3 here the government doesn't control us I'm sure they would like to but it helps you to be able to say oh yes I contributed this and you some of you take tax uh, tax advantages in your in your giving legally and um, it, it's a helpful thing but um, Matthias Jordan from um, from the southwestern part of France was elected as the president of the association. And Francine was elected as a treasurer, and Sylvie elected as uh, the secretary. So we speak blessing over them in their, um, in their function, which in many ways to this point has been symbolic. It's a government regulation. Uh, but we believe that God is going to begin to expand that. We're excited about what God is doing in so many of the regions of France. We had representatives from all over who came, and um, we, we're looking forward to seeing what God has in mind with and through them in conjunction with our Saints Network here um, in the days years to come I just finished a weekly Brazilian broadcast and um, this weekend is uh, Pastor Luciano and Anna's church's 8th anniversary so we uh, speak blessing over them over the measures of celebration that they will be enjoying as a church body and um, we look forward to many more years of partnership together with them. So, I want uh, to talk today from First Samuel chapter 3. We're going to consider the ministry of Samuel and how in so many ways we as a saints network are emulating the pathway that God used to establish the kingdom through Samuel and um, I had never really seen this in the way that I'm going to pronounce this today I believe that it's God's timing for us to see uh, his pattern, his principles that were manifested through Samuel. And I think that we'll be able to see, not just in this message, but in subsequent studies together, how we are really 
partnering with the Lord and following step by step the pathway that Samuel patterned. And that, that's a pretty exciting thing. So let's look for Samuel chapter 3. We will begin at verse 1. Now you know the story of Samuel, how that Israel was in a dark time frame. The days of the judges had not been very favorable to the work of the Lord. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do, and it sounds that way today in our nation. But God dealt with a woman named Hannah, whose name means grace. She offered supplication for what God wanted to do, and God answered and brought forth this little boy who would truly, in his person, in his identity, and in his obedience, not only establish the kingdom, not only birth kingship, but really put together a framework of discovering the word, searching after the deeper things of the word, teaching the word, uh, utilizing the directives of the spirit to establish dwelling places, which I firmly believe from the study of scripture were, uh, these places were built upon deposits of God's glory and through that the kingdom was truly put in a position that God had wanted all along. We're describing the saints. We're describing the the power of the cross and the estemes. We're describing a pneumatikos lifestyle. We're describing those that would seek after God and learn the deeper things of his word and convey them in unique places that God chose around the world to people whose hearts were open. This is a factor that was exhibited in the ministry of Samuel that we don't often focus on. But yet, there it is in plain sight throughout the scripture. So, 1 Samuel 3, 1 is a verse that we have spoken about in many ways over the years. It says, The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord, Yahweh, before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, but there was no open vision. The word of the Lord, the debar of the Lord, was precious. We say it's rare, but the deeper meaning of this word is quite profound. It speaks about something that is heavy, something that is, well, as I said a minute ago, deep. 
the the depth of it is so large that first of all what what it really is saying on an ongoing basis is not known clearly in our day so God looks for people who would have a hunger to search out the the unsearchable riches of the word and to know the God of the word something deep something that was heavy or thick with meaning and the glory of the Lord that could only be discovered by virtue of seeking hard after him and um, that rarity is a twofold dimension number one as I said because God is continually wanting to show his people new things from the living word those things are rare they must be sought out they they must be uh, you must have a hunger for them so if if we say that the word is rare from this condition then when somebody says we've never done it that way before I've never heard that before and then of course you know what follows that can't be God because I've not heard about it my preferred preferred teachers have never said anything about it so it can't be God well that's a description of rarity isn't it and the rare things are past finding out God always has more than we know so by virtue of what mysteries really are they're always going to be rare they're always going to be deep they're always going to be weighty and you're going to have to dig deep in intercession and in study under the direction of the Lord in his timing according to the veins that he opens for you to find them it's not through study alone it's through being willing to follow as the spirit of truth guides us into all truth and the weightiness the heaviness you know people sometimes they say oh make it simple make it easy well good grief how ridiculous is that what would a what would a teacher what would if you were many of you are teachers you're supposed to be teaching children and young people and maybe even college age students um, things they've not known before and if a student comes in and says just make it simple just make it easy what would you say but yet we tolerate that nonsense in the church all the time these are babies well they should grow up and stop being babies you don't have to baby them in today we we watch news reports where everything's being equitized you know we want to punish students and has nothing to do with race quality has nothing to do with race we want to punish students that want to excel and we want to dumb everything down so that kids that don't want to study kids that don't want to invest themselves will feel equal well i'm sorry that's a that's a prescription for failure as a nation and we're on that roadway so to say oh i've never seen this before 
on the one hand, could be a statement of truth because God always wants to lead us into the deeper things, into the path that no man knows as God is leading it. But that's going to be rare. But then the other hand is that most of the church won't pay that price. And so it is rare in a, in a very detrimental way. You see what I'm saying? So for Samuel, the days of the judges provided this type of a, I wouldn't even call it lukewarm. There really wasn't much warmth about it. Just a despicable, godly by name only type of environment. So the depth of the word of God was rare. Yes, it was there for people to search if they're partnering with God, but there weren't many that would be willing to do it. And subsequently, because of the absence of the revelation of these deeper things, there was no parats vision, the breakthrough vision, the invitation accepted from God to take a stand, to stand in the gap, and to see God lead us into expansion. So you have the two things. The depth of the word, which is God. The, the things that are weighty, meaty, which is God. And that then setting the stage for breakthrough. Breakthrough vision, Parat's vision. And so, really, here at the first true description of what Samuel was going to face was the need for people to enter into the deeper studies of the things of God, to enter into a deeper understanding of partnering with the ways of God, so that then there could be an establishment of the kingdom in that identity gap in Israel, and from there then breakthrough could happen. This is what the angel came up from Gilgal and chastised the people at the death of Joshua. You're not doing what you're supposed to do, the angel said. You're not driving out the evil from your own land, and subsequently then, because you're not emulating the ways of God, this land is not holy and you're not breaking through to the expanded places that God wants you to break through into. So the days of the judges initiated in that time, in that way, from the angelic voice. And now here at the end of the days of the judges, the description is the word of the Lord was precious, and so there was no open vision. This was a mandate for Samuel, just as it is a mandate for us. We want to know God in a deeper way. We want to receive the deeper things of his heart and his word. We want to invest ourselves into the work of the kingdom, to search to study. We want this. We're not looking for scripts notes. We're not looking for 
shortcuts. We're not looking to, to cheat on our homework. We want to know God and his word. And subsequently then we'll take a stand based upon what he's showing us because invariably what we've learned over the years, God shows us things so that we can stand on behalf of the word and on behalf of intercession and partnership in those places. And then because we're standing there, we learn more deep things from him, from his word, right? So that in itself is a description of the operation, the operative nature of Peretz to stand in the gap and open vision then comes. So these are things that we have as saints been privileged to receive and to follow. And subsequently then, God has broken open, he's parazed into new places to find others that we must make disciples, teach them what we know, teach them how we know it, teach them how to stand and to stand with them for this to be. In so many ways, we're alive because of supplication and the acceptance of grace at the invitation of God. And he allowed us to see this work birthed in our midst. And um, I think, I think this is such an incredible, um, an incredible privilege. Even the name Samuel has, has a very deep meaning. The essence of it to me is um, to discern and to hear what Elohim would say what Elohim would proclaim, to hear the report of Elohim and to brace it, embrace it. Um, I, I just think it's, it's wonderful. So let's look further. Chapter 3, same chapter, verse 11. This is a funny verse, but it comes right in alignment with what we've just been saying. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in the midst of Israel at which both the ears, right and left, of everyone that hears it will tingle. Hmm. Now this is kind of a strange verse. Stick with me now, because this doesn't just mean a little bell going off, even though I know that some of the translations state that and then they end there. This is a word that means a sounding. Yes, you can, it's like sonar, like in those movies you watch uh, with, the, with the Navy or in submarines where they send out a ping and then they register the depth because of that. This is the tingle. It, it speaks about um, going, probing the depths 
and to being to being shaken because of the things that are discovered through that entrance and in many ways it means to descend rapidly into dark shadowy depths the bathos and subsequently then to quiver at more of this the standpoint of what your the 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 expanse of what it indicates um, this word was used in some ways to describe the darkest place in a forest that is so covered over by the canopy of, of uh, forestal growth that it's almost like evening during the day uh, it's it's the the undiscovered place the the depth the the darkness of of that depth and the ping as it were that God speaks into the ears right and left and uh, the person even their their ears and their teeth chatter because of the resounding immensity of the uh, the great expanse of what is being explored so God says, the thing that I want to do in Israel is so much greater, so much deeper, so much more expansive than anyone that even light has not penetrated yet. I, God says he hides himself in the darkness and light springs forth out of the darkness. <clears throat> the spirit of glory and of God is in that deep, thick, place we have to have ears willing to hear and when we hear we need to resound that this is so much more than we could ever imagine it's an invitation to go deeper it's an invitation to hear and un not just to hear but to understand um, this tingling is a shaking at the profundity of what God is really wanting to do. But then again, it goes back to the deep things, the rarity of the word, of God's plan. I think that's that's also astounding. Let's skip ahead to verse 19. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan on the western coast, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established. Amon, the right hand, true measure of faith and belief to be a prophet of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? I know in the past we've said, man, his batting average was so great as a prophet that he was batting a thousand. I mean, not one of his words was a, uh, was a, was a mishit. Not, not one of his words was a slice. It was, it was always dead on. That's the way we've interpreted. But let me suggest 
an additional viewpoint in light of what we what we've just been saying Samuel was responsible for the word of the Lord and for building up that depth and that hunger for the word throughout the nation so that God could begin to break through on behalf of his people. But it had to be established on the depth of the word and the depth of the partnership and relationship with God. And God said, through your ministry, Samuel, we're going to probe the depth of what I want to do. And even the profundity of what I say is for those who are willing to hear it in their ears, both right and left, they're, they're going to be shaken. They're going to be overwhelmed. They're not going to be able to control themselves because of the depth of this word. And when I give you these words, you're going to be representing the right hand of my throne as a prophet. And everybody's going to know that. But you're going to take care that none of these words fall to the ground. They're all going to be put in their place and they're all going to be presented as an ongoing vocabulary, as an ongoing reservoir of the resources of understanding of the word. And not just an understanding of the word, but an application of the word. Now, let's talk about this a little bit deeper, okay? We have studied in the past about how Samuel was called a prophet, a nabir, and a seer. Um, and we've said that in those days, Samuel had the responsibility of actualizing the word of the Lord, which is what nabir means. Remember, we studied this. It means to bubble up. It means to some of the Yahoo internet groups talk about the Nabi prophet like it's some. All it means is these people have learned how to receive from God. They've learned how to, to recognize the impact of that word on their life, to submit to God in it, and to make sense of it. So it's not just that you're a you're just uncontrollable because this, the, the, the spirit of, of a prophet is subject to the prophet. It seems I read that somewhere. You, you want to learn why God, what God has said, what it means, how you register in regard to the, through the way God's created you, and how best to utilize what he's giving you. What does it mean for you? What meaneth this? And for everybody, that's somewhat different. This was Samuel's job. And hence, we say he was a prophet and a teacher that then birthed the kingdom. But this, is, this was his job. This, this was what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go after the depth, the rarity of the word. He was to go after 
what it meant in partnership with, partnership with God. He was to ping the depths of the identity that these people should have in God and what God wanted to do so that it would shake them and overcome them if they were willing to be that. And then he was to make sure that none of these things fell to the ground. It's kind of a ridiculous, I, I know in a sincerity we have said this, but if you're a prophet in the Old Testament and you're a prophet of God, you would hope that you wouldn't have to say, yeah, they're mostly right. Oh yeah, you know, as opposed to those other prophets, everything he said was true. Now there were false prophets, but it was true and false. It wasn't, well, yeah, come to this prophetic thing. Our batting average is 80%. Well, how would you know then? Hmm, I wonder if he's really saying it right or if I'm one of those clangers that banged off and wasn't, wasn't really true. <laughs> That's what you get in a lot of prophetic meetings, not, of course, at the Father's Church. But... Um, you have to judge prophecy for sure, the scripture tells us, and you better learn to do that. But for Samuel, this wasn't about his accuracy. This was about his measure of being able to accumulate the line upon line, the precept upon precept of what God was saying, and to set apart a framework wherein it was taught. So, how does Samuel do this? Well, this is what God started to really awaken during the time that we were in uh, France this past week. Because it was Samuel who began what was known as the Schools of the Prophets. And he established a rotation of locations where he would gather, I'm sh at that time, chauvinistically, young men who wanted to go hard after God, who wanted to learn how to hear from him, who wanted to know the scripture, who wanted to know how to utilize those scriptures how to stay in line with what God wanted. And the Bible says that he, it's right there for you, he established these camps, these schools, in locations of note. During Samuel's day, he, his base was in Ramah. This is where he was born. This is where he lived. In fact, he had a, a, a structural complex there that was known as Naoth, N-A-I-O-T-H. You can read about it. But this was the primary location where he taught and the people learned the scriptures. They learned how to respond to God in prayer. They learned how to apply the scriptures. They probed the depths of how God moved in his spirit, how to hear from God, how to utilize what God was saying, how to process those things. Sounds a lot like pneumaticos, right? They also taught about playing music before the Lord, prophetic song, 
uh, prophetic instrumentalists, um, and um, all of these things went on in these schools. For Samuel, he had the main one in Ramah, he had one in Bethel, he had one in Mizpah. Um, of course, then, by the time Elijah came and uh, Elisha then came, there were there, there was indication mo- most of your commentaries, I'm just fair warning, are going to say there were six of these. But as I look at it, there were clearly seven of them. And each one of them had the same format, but they each operated under characteristic anointings of the place where God had done incredible things, uh, where obviously there were deposits of the glory, where there were, um, there were hostemes, like Bethel. You know, when um, Saul came to Samuel, this was a divine appointment. Samuel says, okay, I want you to go up here. You're going to run into some people. This was a prophetic insight. You're going to get some bread and a kid, uh, some, uh, some things, uh, some sustenance. Then you're going to go on. You're going to meet some guys that are from the Bethel school. Not Bethel in the West Coast, but Bethel, the, the real Bethel. And when Saul met them, whammo, he was, he was overwhelmed. He was on the ground because that's what Bethel specialized in. It was the meeting of God where a person was changed. Remember, Jacob was changed from Jacob to Israel there. The ladder of God, Elohim, to Yahweh was there. That was significant. And the Bible says through encountering guys from there, Saul uh, received another heart and read a little further, he became as another man. We need that anointing, don't we? Some of you have experienced that. Of course, we, we can as New Covenant people through the power of the cross and being born again, we can experience all of these capacities. But the the covenant with Bethel knew about that. And so I'm going to do work on this. We'll probably have two or three sessions at our seminar in in September on these schools of the prophets because this is what we've embodied as pneumaticos people. And it's also what we're supposed to be doing in Brazil, South America, and France and in this wonderful country of ours. You know, you remember when um, Elijah was going to be taken away by the whirlwind and Elisha was there and they were going school to school and it was the people from Bethel and the people from Jericho that said, hey, your master's going to be taken from you. Why? Well, what was the characteristic of Jericho? Hearing from God, obeying, seeing a miracle happen. Doing what God said. Bethel was being changed as a person. Jericho was a change through obedience in warfare. Both of those things were going to happen. And both of those groups said that to Elisha. 
we won't regale his response here. Remember what happened when then Saul was changed and um, <clears throat> Samuel said, okay, I want everybody to gather at Gilgal because the kingdom is going to be renewed here, reestablished here. What happened at Gilgal? Well, the people entered into the land. The great circumcision process happened. Um, they were vulnerable. They were being one thing that they had known for decades and for hundreds of years was now going away. And now something new was happening. So Samuel doesn't take him to Hebron because that was a different type of anointing, takes him to Gilgal. Read about it. It's good reading. And, you know, it's funny because... Well, it's not funny. Sad in a way. Because you study about the prophets leading up to this time, and they largely... Well, Abraham was the first prophet, but then Moses was Aaron was called a prophet but um, but Moses remember God said to Moses you'll be like a god to the Egyptians but Abram uh, um, your brother Aaron will be your prophet but then at the end it says that Moses was the great prophet what does that mean every now and then there would be some dude that would show up and they'd be a prophet up to this point now, we're not stretching ahead to Deborah. We're, we're just talking about right here, this point in time. To that point, it just basically meant somebody that was open to what God said and were willing to embrace what he wants, which is really the New Testament concept of the martyria, the spirit of the prophet, where you become what God wants. You die to self so that could be. That's what a prophet was. And that's really what these schools of the prophet were supposed to be. To keep alive the heartbeat of God in his word. And to sense what God was saying. Almost like a, a fivefold, an Old Testament fivefold. And to sing it and to speak it. But to keep it alive and to hear from God. That's what prophets were. Now, so it's a difference between prophesying and being a prophet. So out of all these hundreds of people in the school of school of prophecy, school of the prophets, yeah, I guess we're nitpicking here. But very few of them actually emerged as an entity that the nation called a prophet. Isn't that fair? But these dudes coming down from Bethel, they're playing, singing, Saul smote, smote on the ground. What about Rama? Saul, uh, Sam, Samuel's home place. So many other wonderful things happened there. Well, Samuel sets up the school there. David knows where that school is. Um, he's not one of the school students. But he knows where it is. One time when Saul was trying to kill him, one of many times, David flees to Ramah. Not Ramah, but Ramah. Ramadamadingdong. 
That was a special singing group there. It was one of their top 50 hits. Just joking. Does he really mean that? <laughs> you need the gift of discernment, sister. Um, so David flees there. So Saul sends 50 guys, soldiers, to kill David. They come to Ramah, Ramah, and they're all overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord because that was the base. And you talk about the ears tingling. The depth of the spirit was so great that they couldn't contain themselves. Same thing happened to Saul when those guys from Bethel met him. So they go rambling back to Saul. He sends more guys. Same thing happens. Then Saul shows up. It's good reading. You ought to look at it sometime. Spirit of the Lord nails him so greatly that he falls on the ground. His clothes are shaken off. And he lays there naked prophesying, which is exactly the, the concept of nakedness as opposed to in the South, somebody's naked. That means they're up to no good. But nakedness, ask the Laodiceans, is, um, is what we need to do when there is something new that God is wanting to do so that we can be clothed in what he wants now. New garments, new wineskins. But Saul really wasn't changed. He vamooses. But Ramah had that... Had that um, that great capacity where we want to know God. We want to know his word. We want to minister and prophesy to him. And the power of that is going to be so strong that it's going to shake people and they'll be overwhelmed. Now, sometimes people remember. Oh, I remember when people first started to come into our sanctuary here in Dallas, and they, they'd get in the door and then of them would fall over. They couldn't stand. It's like the dedication of the temple. Oh, I value those days. But what are you supposed to do? Somebody's got to minister. I know that the priest couldn't stand to minister, but did that last all the time? If it did, then nobody would be, nobody would be ministering. <laughs> Nobody would be because, you know, God's got to have somebody acclimated so that they can represent him. I, I just, I think with maturity, it's not that you shut yourself off from God, but you learn new ways to serve him so that you can minister in the midst of the depth of those things. Um, I, I think that is, that is such an incredible thing for us that we, we need to recognize that these schools of the prophets, these bastions of the word, how to process the word, how to hear from God, what to do with what you hear, how to respond, how to keep the word, how to preserve the word, how to communicate the word, how to minister in worship and singing, in fact, later on, remember when Elisha was called in the midst of the, the kings of the north and south, and he says, bring me a minstrel. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, this guy came from one of these schools and provided that expression 
welcomed that atmosphere that then the prophet was able to glean and to declare, make this valley full of ditches. Remember, it was a very clear word, but the people still had to do it. God didn't go out and dig the ditches for them, and it's work to dig ditches. But sometimes you have to put the work in. Most of the time, you have to put the work in when it comes to the word. Oh, make it simple. Oh, make it easy. I'm sorry. You're going nowhere if that's your mentality. You'll flunk in the school of the Lord if, if you're not willing to pay the price. And, and again, praying in the Spirit as we've studied. Praying in the Spirit, act with the Spirit, activates our abilities through God to understand. It activates our affections. And, and, and we need God for this. But it's still up to us to do it. So Samuel established these schools. And then there was a long period of time where I'm sure David was watching over them. Uh, by the time Elijah came, Jezebel had set out to destroy these schools. A man named Obadiah in their court preserved a, a, a hundred or so of these fellows, but there were others that God preserved. And then the gathering of all of them, a face-off at Carmel, Mount Carmel, where the fire from the Lord fell. That was also a base of one of these schools. So, yes, they all studied the same, the same spiritual meat, but they also honored what God had done in those various places, and they, I'm sure, tapped into the reason God did what he did at these places, and they brought a different flavoring of the ways of God into their their communal combination when they would come together. It's like the body of Christ. But we have the privilege of being Samuel-like as saints. We have the privilege of hopefully not letting any of these words fall to the ground. And I apologize to God for any ways that I've done that. The enemy has tried to destroy this process over and over again. And, you know, so you come back. There's so many facets of this, and I know we're almost out of time. When Israel wanted a king, the whole study of Saul, sadly, Samuel had two sons who were judges in the land who were not following the ways of God. I pray for our children and our grandchildren that they would keep going after the deep things of God. Some of you, your hearts grieve because you see your children. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep believing. 
I pray for my own lineage because you can't make people have an encounter with God. The best we can do is pattern and in all sincerity pattern and then believe that God who spoke to Samuel in the nighttime whispered his name. God can still do that because in the end it wasn't my noble nature if there is such a thing who decided to let God come and begin to move among my church as saints. In fact, my noble nature would probably have rejected that because it meant a death of the politicization and religiosity that I'd been trained in. It was only because God got a hold of me and I didn't resist that. You, you've got to hold on to what you are in the Lord. And you can't make somebody have that. We tried. We, we've tried. All of us have tried. We want people to have this so deeply. We want them to have it. But you can't make them receive it. You lead a horse to water, you know. Um... Samuel's sons weren't following the Lord, just as maybe they weren't as bad as Eli's sons, but as they'd say in West Virginia, they're probably pert near it. Pretty near it. Um, so Samuel says, why do you want a king? Why do you want to be like these other nations? Is it not enough that you have my role and that you have all of these schools of the prophets to where the nation would be following the one king and that is God just as supposedly they followed Moses just supposedly as they followed Joshua if you have a king you're going to have an intermediary between you and God and you don't want that unless it's King Jesus who is God praise his name but God chose the king Samuel loved Saul um, Saul had the opportunity to follow the directive of Samuel and to embrace the ways of these schools but instead he let the common folk and their opinions lead him and it destroyed him. Do you know how many times the common folk tried to speak wisdom into my life about what God was doing here, how I needed to reel people in, how I needed to do things this way to hide what God was doing so that, that people wouldn't get so their ears wouldn't tingle, so that they wouldn't have the paucity of becoming naked before the Lord, figuratively speaking. Some of those I wouldn't want to even envision the physical. Ugh. So I'm glad God's not doing that. But spiritually, um, you, can't, you, you, you cannot base things on what people want because that way leads to destruction.
you got to stay in the middle. So here's Samuel saying, you know, it's kind of offensive that you want a king to be like the other nations. But God's going to honor it, and we're going to do things. Um, eventually, there'll be a king. He didn't say this. David, who, who went after God uh, from his heart, from his spirit, a, a Tobe person. Saul could have been that, but he didn't last that, well, well, that way. It's interesting, too, that the first righteous act that, Sam, that Saul actually did was when that foreign-ite king said, I'm going to make peace with you guys from Gilead, and you've got to give us the right, your right eye. You know how prophetic that was? The right eye is the right eye of the prophetic. We know that. But based upon what Samuel was, had established there for decades, that indicated hearing from God. This foreign king was saying, you give me that capacity, you surrender it, we'll have peace. And at least Saul stood up and said, no, righteous indignation, we're going to smite you, buddy. Smite you. <laughs> These schools were at the heart of what Samuel's identity was. And all of those things we read from 1 Samuel 3 through the word of the Lord being deep to um, ears tingling at the depth to being overwhelmed really then because we saw that in the soldiers, we saw it in Saul, we saw it in others. The words not falling to the ground to um, everybody knowing that what Samuel was doing was representing the right hand of the throne and we, we need to establish what that communication is. Are we not describing the saints, pneumatikos individuals, to where in the church you have the pneumatikos and the prophets, to where in the end time you have the saints and the prophets? So wouldn't if, if what I'm saying from Samuel is, is true, and it is, wouldn't that mean that everybody should be saints in the, in the book of Revelation? Well, yeah, but those devoted to establishing this, serving in that role, have got to be teaching and training and discipling others, and there has to be, there would have to be those in those days that are just then receiving and saying, I will embrace this. I will follow the Lord. But the saints are still breaking ground. You see that? Well, our time has come and gone. But this is something fresh from the Lord. Um, it's really our calling. Seen in a new way. And I, I ask that God would help us to go after the deeper things of the Lord, to still let it shake us, those depths shake us, that our, we would guard over the words so that they don't fall out of our ears into the ground and that we preserve them and that we would still want to be known functionally as a people who are established at the right hand of God and from the far eastern part of the kingdom to the far from the far western part of the kingdom to the far eastern 
uh, people would know this is coming from the throne. If that can be said of us functionally, then we're happy because we're representing God. We're hearing what the heart of Elohim is saying. Samuel. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for the path that you've led us through and for what lays before us. Help us to go deeper, higher, height, the depth, the width, the breadth. May Christ be within and upon us in all of those ways. May we truly be your saints. May we truly partner with the angelic for your will. May we truly be those pneumonicos people and may we establish your word for you are the living word and may we know you in your depth and in your fullness as you guide us. We thank you for it. I speak blessing over all of your people. I, I pray you'll provide whatever it is they need and we're so grateful. We thank you for we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for joining. We'll see you soon.